This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located at 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. satanic dagger's curse and look into the face of the demon that stalks the night on an all-new episode of Friday the 13th, the series. Welcome back to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled TV series and the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Zeneca. And tonight, we continue our journey through the end of Friday the 13th, Season 3, with the episode Demon Hunter. Demon Hunter, originally aired October 2nd, 1989. A family of ex-cultists is being hunted by a demon. And Johnny I don't think that's accurate, though. No, I don't think they're a family. And Johnny also... uh, Oh, they are kind of cultists. At the end, don't we realize they're like cultist exterminators? And they used well, to be bar, part of a cult, and also Johnny joins the cast yeah, permanently. Yeah, it's like they're more... <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, they're more a hunting squad for cultists. I don't think they were cultists. Only the one girl, uh, the daughter, ends up being a cultist. The rest weren't. So I think that description on IMDb is inaccurate. Now... I'm curious if the reason why we do not have season one and two promos on the DVDs is because they would only look like the way they do on YouTube. Whereas if you watch the promos for season three, they are all pretty, pretty, pretty. Um, I'm assuming that maybe season three's stuff was saved better. I don't know the explanation. There's no explanation in the book. There's no explanation online. I mean, you can kind of create your own thoughts and leave a comment in the comment section below. You know, be kind about it. Just, you know, we don't know. Because Season 3's promos so far for the three, the four episodes I've watched are, like, in really good quality. In fact, better quality than the episodes themselves. Yeah, you know, the DVD uh, for the third season also has a different menu screen than the other two seasons. It was almost like it was produced by a different manufacturer. Yeah, and um, all the promos that are on uh, YouTube for seasons one and two came from Chiller, not their original syndicated uh, broadcasting. Because mm. Chiller re-aired Friday the 13th. And I believe, I don't own Chiller, but I'm 
someone told me it's still being aired on Chiller. So Chiller is a Dish Network exclusive channel. Um, I had it for a few years when I had Dish Network, and I loved it. In fact, I remember the exact day it launched. My ex-wife called me in and was like, hey, this is uh, a thing you might want to be into. And I'm like, what is it? And she's like, it's a tar network. And I was like, what? And granted, this is like 2007. You know, YouTube hadn't mm-hmm. really exploded yet, where there's like channels kind of like that all the time. You know, this was kind of a big deal. So I was like obsessed with watching Chiller whenever I could. And then we lost Dish Network. I was totally disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, one thing I noticed from the release dates on these is that the um, the Prophecies movie, which aired on October 7th, 1989, and this episode actually aired October 2nd. So, uh, it's like where the movie was actually released, um, you know, five days after this episode, even though the prophecies are episodes one and two, technically. Now, by the way, this episode is written by our good friend Jim Henshaw, um, who was not able to make it on this show for us for this episode, and also by Frank Mancuso Jr., the creator of Friday the 13th, the series, which is, his name's going to show up in a lot for season three for writing episodes. Also, the, the demon hunting family are all played by actors... I'm assuming are related to each other. Baron Cassidy, Bonnie Cassidy. Okay, I gotta. No, no, those are the character names. Oh God. Okay, I'm gonna edit that part out. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm gonna sound like a goddamn moron. Oh. <laughs> I had a okay. really bad week this week. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Um, I'm kind of like half-assing it a bit tonight. Um, so if my attitude. That's okay. Sounds... I, you. You can re- you can rely on all my research and make that heavy. Okay, yeah. So my 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 attitude tonight might sound like I'm not entirely here. I am entirely here, folks. But uh, anyway, so um, the actors in the episode, the correct the correct way to go through this are. Uh, oh, by the way, the episode is directed by Armand Mastarioni, who uh, we've talked about before and is still working to this very day. He's worked on many 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 different projects. Um, one of the uh, actors in the episode, Dale Wilson, was in Hellraiser, Hellseeker. Uh, which uh, is not a great movie. Uh, <laughs> he was uh, Hoist and Smokescreen on Transformers Armada. He was Edward Kelly um, on X-Men Evolution, who was the senator most of the time. On this show, he was the principal, uh, because this was like a younger, younger version of the X-Men. Even though the, young, the X-Men had started out when they were young, they decided to make them younger still. Don't ask me. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Our female cultist slash uh, cult hunter daughter, Bonnie Cassidy, uh, played by Allison Mang. And in fact, uh, she didn't do much after this episode. Just uh, another episode, an episode of Forever Night in the 90s, and then that's it. Yeah, but she was on one of my favorite TV series that introduced us to uh, one of the greatest actors of all time. And the, um, the, uh, the, uh, which lasted for three seasons, which I cannot believe it. Jerry O'Connell. He was yeah. the chubby kid in, um, Stand By Me. Oh, yes, him. Yeah. Yeah. He, this show was like super powered teenage superhero show before there was, that was a thing. And, uh, no, I don't even think I saw it. Yeah, now he plays, of course, um, what was the last thing he just did? Oh, he was Sheldon Cooper's uh, brother in uh, a couple episodes of The Big Bang Theory. Oh, and he's the voice of Superman on the Death and Return of Superman movies. 
But he's not in the episode we're talking about, so we're going to kind of move on. David Orth was in Fifty Shades of Grey. Wow. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) The Lost World 2012, uh, still acting to this very day. Got a long, 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 long IMDb. And then David Stratton, kind of looks like he quit acting in 2004, was in Prom Night 3, The Last Kiss, which is a really kind of screwed up Prom Night movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the, those prominent movies are, are screwed up. Um, yeah, I've only ever seen the first and the second, second one, and the remake. Oh yeah. So, um, oh. so the demon. I want to talk about the demon first off, just to get it out of the yes. way. Um, yes. th- we see the demon kind of a lot in this episode, which is kind of unusual. This is usually something that their low budget for the show would not allow us to see the demon that often. But we see this guy in this costume. Uh, what is the name of the demon? Is it uh, Ariman? It's Ariman. 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 Okay. So he's played yeah. by Jax J- Jocks. Is it Jocks? Is it pronounced Jocks? J A C Q U E. Jacques. Jacques Fortier. And yes, it's was... just it's just Jacques. <laughs> He was on 23 episodes of War of the Worlds as a special effects makeup artist, and he was the prosthetic technician on Friday the 13th for 38 episodes. Ooh, and yeah. He, we, the way, saw the, we saw the and, demons... Um, and he's still working uh, today. Yeah, in this episode we see the demons, you know, head pretty prominently, the chest, there's a full body scene a couple times, and then these close-ups of these weird feet... You know, that just kind of move along the the, the ground. It, it's it's pretty cool, but, you know, the feet are a little cheesy. He's also, by the way, on the TV series, which uh, Mr. Zeniga and I have talked about, uh, Dracula the series from 1990, not the one that we were going to be reviewing in January. This is the other one. This was the half hour, uh, not, a, I would say more like a family show, but it's not a sitcom. Okay. But he's still working yeah. today, which is, you know, amazing. That's good. She's still working That's in good. behind the scenes, special effects, makeup technician, props, lead man, set dressing. You know what I mean? He's got a he's got a very good career going on uh, through 2018. Well, let's get into this demon because I've got a lot of information here. Okay. So <laughs> okay. we have the uh, it starts off with the military so being. Good, you can wear them Whoa! Hold on. Playing. Sorry. All right. All right. So we start off with the this. Uh, military group being hunted. Yeah, yeah. This it, it kind of jumps into what is not typically a Friday the 13th storyline is uh, what looks a little bit like a Predator movie uh, or a Storm Chaser movie. You don't, you don't really know exactly what you're looking at, but it, it's apparent that it is a demon and this demon can be invisible and can be... Uh, cannot interact with the environment when it's invisible. So you don't really know where it's coming from. And then it goes and kills one of the sons of this demon hunting family. And then we, what's funny is there are, se- there are two storylines happening parallel to each other, and they never interact until the, thir- the, the final act. Yes, very end. The very you're, end. You're just kind of wondering wh- where are they going with this. Yeah, because you basically have the A plot, which seems to be not Curious Goods. The A plot seems to be the demon hunters and the demon. The B plot is them dealing with the fallout of what happened in the prophecy, um, with Ryan being de-aged and going back to live with mm-hmm. his mother, 
And uh, which is, by the way, something when John was on the show last week, John John LeMay, you can check out the uh, episode on our iTunes, YouTube, and sorry, not YouTube, on our website to listen to the great John D. LeMay coming on our show. Uh, we never mentioned like this was a quick, this was a, uh, I guess, a convenient way to not kill off Ryan, but possibly let him come back if John wanted to. What the the uh, temple underneath Curious Goods? No, I'm talking about last week's episode where they de-aged yeah. him. To they didn't kill him, they de-aged him. So maybe something could happen and he could turn back into an adult. So if John ever wanted to come back to the show, they could bring him back uh, easily. I don't know. That would take a a, a serious bit of writing to I, it would take create a t- situation where it, it would actually age him and he'd have those memories from previous. It's a television show. They could write whatever they wanted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he could come in possession of something, and then his mother realize what it is. They go to him. Ryan, the young Ryan comes in, and then he comes, and then it's like you know something that's stealing people's youth or, or giving them back their youth or you know some some MacGuffin like that. And they could easily then just do it and just no, he's got his memories back because well, that's how stuff is written in television. Don't forget, this wasn't a, this was not an error of like television continuity that much. <laughs> Uh, no, no, I, I get it. I get it. It's it's just like uh, when when you turn someone a kid and then leave it at that, bringing them back from being a kid is is kind of anticlimactic. I need to cite an amazing Spider-Man story called the Tablet of Time, where Spider-Man, the Kingpin, the uh, the uh, and and a bunch of other characters were trying to get this tablet that could basically restore was like the Fountain of Youth, and it was ran in the '60s era Spider-Man comic books, um, and was adapted into an episode of the cartoon. And Silvermane was an old crime lord who wanted to be young again, and he de-aged all the way to nothingness, and then eventually grew back up with all of his memories from nothingness because comic books comic books yeah so because television says so that's the only explanation we would have why ryan is or ryan would at least have partial memories but he wouldn't remember everything and john could start with a fresh start if they did a season four i guarantee it was a backdoor way to bring ryan back to bring john back if he ever decided to come back <laughs> He, maybe, as maybe. he said, they didn't. They did not part on bad terms when he was talking to us last week. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Roby is uh, sorry. Mickey basically has made Jack partner of Curious Goods now because Jack has never been the owner of Curious Goods. It was left to Ryan and Mickey. Yeah, yeah. He had the ability to just jump ship if he need if he needed to, you know. And this episode allowed us also to finally have um, Johnny uh, available, you know, than just having to show up because he's a recurring character, you know. This was like his big episode to replace Ryan. Yeah, and in this episode, I believe the purpose of him having to fight um is to get him to believe that these things are actually real. Yes, even though he's already kind of experienced these things like the invisible he, Yeah, the invisible yeah, the disappearing jacket uh, yeah yeah it's it's just that the depth of which that the um the curse or that they're actually dealing with the devil because in france and the prophecies he johnny didn't really see much yeah so the the blessing from the um mother he didn't really see a lot of it and he didn't really experience it so this episode really gets him into the weeds on oh my god 
these demons are real. And then that kind of blows his world a little bit. Um, okay, so what do you have for us on who this demon is and you know okay. what his baggage? By the way, I also got to point out, on IMDb, uh, one of the rare episodes that actually has pictures from the episode. You go through IMDb in the previous, you know, and, and go through past episodes of Friday the 13th, there are no pictures from the show. If there are, they're very, very rare. This episode actually has like four, five, six, seven stills from the, uh, from the episode. It was a pretty high-budget episode with all those uh, prosthetics. Yeah, I'm just thinking this is like a like season three. They really got their budget up and going, and uh, unfortunately, obviously, they got canceled. So. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so our demon Araman, and during the actual show, I could not understand this demon's name until the end credits when they actually spelled it out. Because as Jack says it, it's, it sounds like Aramond, and it's, it's really Ahriman. Uh, Ahriman is a god of evil and darkness in Persian mythology and in Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism being a religion that was uh, pretty big in uh, Persia in 600 BC and is still practiced to this day. Um, it is one of the first, well, probably the first, monotheistic religions. Um, and in this monotheistic religion, they do have a duality, uh, which is characterized by Ahriman and uh, by his brother. Um, let me sorry. Uh, oh, and let's see here. Um, originally, Ahriman was the Persian god Angra Menu, destructive spirit, whose twin brother Spenta Menu was a benevolent spirit. And uh, Spenta Menu turned into Ahura Maza, the wise lord. So they they went through a lot of name changes here. Uh, as the Zoroastrian religion, Ahriman was depicted as the negative side of um, the god. So it was like it was a duality. So he was born from the doubts of God, and it, it had a. Per, a, a a personage personified, uh, but also in Zoroastrianism, things are a little bit more uh, omnipresent and abstract. So they didn't have humanoid forms really to speak of. You know, the when they say twins and brothers, it, it's more like the spirit of it versus an actual physical embodiment. So because the uh, of the dual dualistic beliefs in these twin gods, um, Ahura Mazda became the supreme leader uh, who would one, one day achieve the final victory over Ahriman. Uh They were due to have a 9,000-year battle uh, for control of the Earth, and um, the way time works in the description is not really how Earth time works, so the 9,000 years is... Um, could be a flash in the pan, or it could be forever. You know, it, it time works differently in in the belief system here. Zoroastrianism and uh, Ahriman specifically uh, changed as it went from Zoroastrianism to uh, Zurvanism. Zurvanism. Uh -huh. So as the belief in these dualistic spirits moved from Zoroastrianism into Zurvanism, the Belief in Ehriman was transitioned into believing that this is the negative side of humanity. So all of what Ehriman is is the negative side of humanity. So the 
the spirit is everywhere and nowhere at the same time. And uh, let's see, the I think that's all I have specifically. I've got a lot here, but I'm not going to say all all of it. You can, yeah. I mean, if you want to look up more information about this uh, demon and some of the lore that he comes from beyond uh, what Mr. Zeneca said, he's uh, what is the site that you would reference? Uh, let's see. We've got Iran, I Iranica Online. So it's IranICAonline.org. Iran like the and country. So, Iran like the country. Yes, it's a Persian god. So you have to look up the Iranian belief systems. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, and when I was looking up the symbols, the symbols all through this episode, there's a lot of symbols that I couldn't actually find, not saying that they're not real, but I couldn't actually find them. And then when I was finding the uh, symbols for Everyman, I couldn't see anything that matched but until I found a, a, a one-line mention on a website that the word Everyman in Persian is actually always written backwards uh, or upside down because it's the negative side. And because of that, it, everything kind of made sense afterwards because I, I am a little skilled in Persian, so I could read it, but it was just weird seeing it backwards. <laughs> okay. Um, after Johnny shows up at Curious Goods, they go down in the basement, and Jack finds a church of necromancy where demons are raised from hell. Gee, who could have put that there? Uncle Lewis. Yeah, that's Uncle Lewis's demonic uh, temple there. <laughs> but they never say that. I watched the episode, and they never say, oh, it must have been Uncle Lewis who stuck this down here. Like, when that, you know, they discover it. Like, it's like, Roby, uh, Mickey, Roby, Mickey asks, who could have put this here? Oh, I don't know. What? <laughs> You're seen worshiping uncle. <laughs> I, I I thought that was a little bizarre that they had to ask who could have put this here. It should have been this must have been your uncle Lewis's doing, and that would have been fine. End of story. Mm -hmm. We get it. We don't need to talk, you know, backwards about everything that's happened leading up to this episode. Yeah, but, but yeah. They say that, like, you know what I mean? That just doesn't make any sense. Unfortunately, Jim's not here to ask that question to, so maybe I'll send it to him online. <laughs> um, and hope, I mean, he's pretty good about answering questions that are like, okay, what the hell, Jim? <laughs> yeah, and and I have – this episode was so jam-packed with symbols and and pulling out of, of references. This temple that they're, that they're you know, looking at and uh, the ceremonial knife, which is supposed to be a, a demon-laden knife. Yep. <laughs> It's funny that we're doing this episode after the last two episodes that um, Ryan would be on the show for because uh, J John's character, Steven, in Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday, which, by the way, Mr. Zeneca and I will be doing a Film Dungeon Commentary fan uh, uh, podcast uh, review of coming up uh, as soon as we figure out what day we're going to do it, so stay tuned for that. Um, in that movie, his girlfriend gets thrown like a knife and it turns into this like ceremonial dagger out of just magic because of script reasons that you need <laughs> to stab Jason in the heart with a magic knife to send him to hell because that's you know related to a guy living in the woods who's hunting down teenagers that are you know just having sex and smoking weed <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, we'll get to well, Friday the Thirteenth. Jason goes to hell, the. Uh, sorry, we'll get to Jason goes to hell the final Friday very soon. So, and Justin Zeneca has never seen it before. <laughs> no, this has been my first time. Yeah, and she's I've not going like, to watch it. Pieces and of course the fight scenes. And she's not going to watch it before we get there. By the way, so the people show up at Curious Goods. Um, this is how the the storylines kind of be, you know like intersect with each other. But it takes so long to get there. You're really curious, like you know. Until like pieces of dialogue are mentioned by the military, by the uh, you know the military crew, that there's something obviously connected to Curious Goods. So yeah, it's a slow burn to try to get to the point of why are we looking at these two storylines? Yeah. Yeah, and they get there and they think that Jack, uh, Jack, Mickey, and Johnny are part of the cult that raised the demon. Yeah, because they're just standing in the, you know. Black Mass Temple. So. They basically caught him red-handed. <laughs> it doesn't look good for these three. I mean, on it, honestly, I would think that too if you're standing there, you know. Uh, yeah, and there's nothing to uh, dissuade him because of the fact that what's above the temple, the containment unit for all of the cursed objects. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. it doesn't look very good. Not at all. Not at all. And the ceremonial knife that they have, and this is the cursed object of this episode, they call an Enochian dagger. Mm-hmm. Huh, okay. So as soon as I heard that word, I'm like, all right. Yeah. All right. Give us the short what... version of this uh, okay. Enochian dagger, because we unfortunately short... do have a, a time crunch. Yes. Yeah, uh, the short version here is uh, Enochian... Uh, Enochian magic is basically a system of ceremonial magic based on evocation and commanding of spirits, uh, based on the 16th century writings of Dr. John Dee and Edward Kelly. Uh, Dr. John Dee, uh, John Dee was Queen Elizabeth's astrologer and was a heavy Christian at the time. Uh, basically, the the text that what they call the Enochian magic uh, system is really a communication system. For the angels. So it's like an angelic language. The Enochian magic system is so freaking complicated. So complicated. Different parts of Enochian magic were are given to uh, or connected to the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light and the Order of the Golden Dawn. And so they use some of the Enochian magic techniques from Dr. John Dee. And um, if you want to read more of it, uh, you can actually read the book The Enochian Magic of Dr. of Dr. John Dee by Geoffrey La- uh, James. And um, the word Enoch is actually comes from the biblical grandfather to Noah and therefore in the book of Enoch, which is a, a biblical book that was dis- rediscovered in the 1700s. Uh, the concept of Nephilim and the war of between the angels... You know, that's kind of expressed within the book of Enoch. So Enoch walked with God, and that's his whole thing. In a nutshell, that's it. <laughs> gotcha. Um, they, uh, the leader throws a line at Jack saying, uh, after Jack says, we're decent people, and uh, the, the leader says, uh, decent people don't own books about the devil. And I'm like, oh, well, flash forward to 2018, and, you know, that's... Um, I mean, are we counting graphic novels and comics and just basic literature? <laughs> what about your local library? Wouldn't that have books about the devil too? I, I don't know. My yeah, library yeah, certainly you're, did. You're talking. You're talking to a fanatic, and and this military demon hunter father is such a fanatic, and it's and it's his fanaticism that 
kind of led this whole journey of the demon being out for a year, and I mean, it caused a whole mess. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, th- this storyline didn't really grab me. It was just no. a lot of research for me, and I'll be I didn't 100% particularly honest. enjoy this episode. Other than, like, the demon actually being, like, a real creature that you could touch and push, and, you know, it was a real guy yeah. in a costume, this episode yeah. was not, like... The military stuff honestly bogged this episode down way too much by the time we got to the end of it that I was like, oh, finally, we're here at the end. <laughs> oh, God, they're going to close the gate to hell or entrap the demon inside. You it, know, it just... It just seemed like it was such a departure from the usual Friday the 13th the series-style episodes. Well, because the thing um, was mailed to them. They didn't have to go hunting for it, and we had a big, big two-part opening to this season, which... Technically, I mean, the opening to season three, this more felt like the beginning of season three, and the last two episodes were more like the end of season two. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, Johnny, d- 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 Ryan leaves, Johnny, you know, replaces him, and mm-hmm. this is the episode right, that they're, like, wrapping up what happened with Ryan, you know what I mean? That that's, that felt more like a, an opening to a season than, you know, the third episode. So the demon shows up, and Johnny grabs the dagger. The leader shoots the demon out the window. I, I don't know what he's expecting to, to do. The demon is immortal, and he's shooting him with bullets and grenades, and nothing's harming him. Yeah. By the way, you think if the demon came from hell, who runs hell? The devil. So wouldn't the devil also sent the demon to go, Hey, them friggin' artifacts aren't being used the way they're supposed to be. Why don't you get in there and break them out? Yeah. Also, we haven't we had demonic... Although the demons are usually contracted for a specific purpose. So in this demon's contract, he was promised these uh, three souls from the the brother and the two brothers and the father. Yep. In return, he was going to give up the souls that were taken by them from hell. So the cultists that were you know mass murdered are going to be back living if the demon takes these three souls. That seems like a bad deal. Also, we forgot to mention how they found out about the uh, the 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 temple of the necromancy. Jack cut his hand on the ceremonial knife. Oh, yeah. Jack cut his hand on the ceremonial knife. The blood goes down, and then it starts seeping into the cement. Right. Kind of reminds me of uh, Frank's brother uh, cutting his hand in Hellraiser, and his hand, the blood in his hand dripping down and resurrecting Frank. Ooh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. I I I faintly remember that. Yeah. That was base that was how Frank came back to life in Hellraiser. Skinless and bone, you know, kind of, you know, gooey because mm-hmm. he was he doesn't have all his parts le- yet. Um but uh yeah, that kind of reminded me of that. But that blood on the floor resurrecting something that's been done before. It was done in a Christopher Lee Dracula movie. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh you know, but still good effect um i was expecting the ceremonial knife upon tasting blood for it to actually do something but what it actually did was done a year before to release the demons also jack is not a bad person he's not a demon worshiper he's not a hell worshiper he's a good man his soul is probably very pure yeah but wouldn't that make his blood more valuable nope maybe not maybe maybe not maybe not in the context the way the show works no, maybe. Different rules for different fools. They the the girl Bonnie is the one who we revealed to be you know kind of in cahoots with the whole thing because she's got the branding on her. 
you know, mm-hmm. and then of course the uh, the, the our lead the lead our leader character uh, Baron he uh, puts an end to her with the demonic knife, all done slow yeah. motion and dramatically. Uh, your your opinion here because I couldn't figure it out. I watched this episode twice and I could not figure out is Bonnie supposed to have some sort of psychic power? No, I just think she was in cahoots. she was like a, she was. Like the number one responsible and the hoots of the whole thing, and you know. Oh no, she she definitely was. She was definitely the one responsible, and she was the quote unquote caller. And when she died, the the demon was forced back into hell. But in the beginning of the episode, when they're going through this, you know, storm chasing ish uh, adventure to, you know, I don't know whether they're trying to catch the demon or trying to get away from the demon, but either way, she keeps saying he's blocking me out I can't connect so I don't know what she was supposed to be psychic I don't know questions all these questions and uh you know the the demon elator uh is actually a religion it's not real like the demon elator is actually uh demon elators and demon elatress as she would be called uh, are ones who practice demon demonolatry Demonolatry. <laughs> All right, we gotta move on because we're gonna start killing at a time or whatever with the editing okay, and stuff. Okay, okay. okay. All right, so I gotta um, edit this out. All right. You can actually you can actually research that is a true religion and it that has nothing to do with Satan. Gotcha. Period. Gotcha. Um, so they basically <laughs> bury the tomb below. Um, even though Roby or Mickey says, "Oh, we could use the space because you know the cabinet's getting the vault's getting kind of crowded." But they seal it up anyway. So, you know, the portal to hell, you think you would throw all the curious objects into it, too. Well, that would be an interesting idea. Yeah, I would have just, uh, with the with the hell portal open, I would have, like, started throwing, like, the curious... Stuff them in. Yeah, yeah, the cursed objects there, back to the like, devil send himself. Send them back to hell. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. I mean, I don't see any downside to that, really, if they're sealing it up with cement after. Right, so... All right, that's pretty much it. I don't own any ceremonial Nokian daggers, do you? Oh, uh, I own ceremonial uh, daggers, but I don't practice Enochian magic, so therefore I, they are not Enochian. Oh. Uh, there was three uh, deaths in this episode. Okay. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more Dead TV Podcast in just a second. Coming up on an all-new Friday the 13th, their crime left her crippled. A beautiful young girl paralyzed until she came upon an old wheelchair with mysterious powers. Heal me. We can likely heal you too. Now, one by one, sweet revenge is hers. And only two people know her haunting secret. The vengeful killer on an all-new Friday the 13th, the series. And we return to the Dead TV Podcast with the next episode of Friday the 13th, the series. Our next episode is Crippled Inside, originally aired October 9th, 1989. A vengeful quadriplegic discovers that she can regain control of her body with the help of a magic wheelchair. This episode made me feel really uncomfortable in the beginning. By the way, I forgot to mention something about the previous episode. Just real quick, it's on IMDb and it might be in, uh, it might be in Elise Wax's book. Uh, when the demon falls into the pit, the wall behind it vibrates. Like bounces, like that's they, they, yeah, like they, they, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, going back to what I said, 
this episode made me feel really uncomfortable in the beginning and the middle and the end at least three times. I I mean, yeah, because we're dealing with someone that, you know, is almost violently going to be raped. And that is... Oh, I mean, I remember seeing this episode as a kid, not and just, this was one of the ones that made me fall in love with the show. Not just raped, but gang raped. Yes. Which is yes. probably worse. It is, prob- it is worse. It is absolutely worse. I mean, it's just yeah. one attacker, bad, multiple attackers? Jesus Christ, writers. Oh, yeah. yeah like, Holding wow. you down and with a knife to your throat. Yes, it is completely the most traumatic experience like she would ever go through up to that point for sure right but. um just yeah unbelievable the actress playing her is stephanie morgenstern who had a pretty big career up until 2009 and she kind of stopped uh she was the last thing she did was yin yang yo i don't know what that is <laughs> chung pao kitties is this a cartoon did your kid ever watch sounds this like a- no, I'm not familiar. It sounds like some sort of uh, anime cartoon cat show. She must have been popular with anime because she's the voice of Sailor Venus on Sailor Moon. Huh, so the okay. last time I checked, now you can correct me if I'm wrong which one this is. In fact, you know what? I'm going to look it up right now, and that way I don't have to worry about the correction. So just give me one quick second. Sure, sure. Our our main douchebag of the episode, Marcus, is played by Greg uh, Spotswood, and uh, his last television show or, or credit here was from 2009 for Flashpoint on that epi- an episode of that he was on uh, This Is Wonderland an episode uh, Doc TV show Roughing It which is a TV movie Babar you know back to Babar yeah, um, <laughs> yeah he's just listed as additional voices uh, let's see we've got Quite a lot of credits in the 90s, for sure. We have My Secret Identity, an episode of Forever Night, Street Legal, Sweating Bullets, Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. A lot of just one-off episodes. Okay, so she's not the character I thought she was on Sailor Venus. I'm not the biggest Sailor Moon fan. I've seen like a handful of episodes, but she's she's a main character of the Sailor Scouts. I'd be remiss because we actually talked about this last week, wasn't the mom of Ryan was on Sailor Moon as well. Yes. Yeah, so I thought in honor of that, we'd play this. I'm surprised we didn't get any comments from anime fans saying, why didn't you play the Sailor Moon theme song? Which is actually (laughs) kind of catchy. And I will admit, even though I'm not a big fan of Sailor Moon, just because it's just not something I really ever got into. um, Mm -hmm. I mean, let's face it. They they, they made Sailor Moon to target towards girls to have a female empowerment kind of anime show, right? I agree there. (laughs) Target 
so we will probably have other characters um, from Friday the 13th on the uh, show that had probably been on Sailor Moon because it's just kind of fascinating. We've had now two back-to-back episodes, uh, two back-to-back set of sh- episodes where a character was on Sailor Moon. And before it was like Babar. And of course we have somebody from Babar on the- this time as well. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when, you're, when your acting career is kind of not going anywhere, you kind of start doing voiceover work. You know, that's what one that's voiceover true. actor told me. He tried doing the acting thing for a little while, hated it, got into voiceover work, hasn't left sense and he's absolutely he's like it's a thousand times easier uh sailor moon big cartoon don't know a lot of anime girls uh girls in anime excuse me that absolutely adored this cartoon grew up watching it my you know i've got you know relatives that were really into it too so uh i know the the social impact of how big sailor moon was for anime people especially young girls because again it was a big female empowerment show in the early late 90s to have five teenage girls have to save the world every day and they did not need a man to help them there was a couple male characters but they were not the primary focus of the show woohoo yeah aka like Shira, which you know is kind of coming back right now soon at some point i don't know when that show is going to start soon but one of the uh, attempted rapists, Peter, the one that gets uh, liquefied in this episode. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, th- this was actually his second casting. Uh, he only had a uh, a bit part as a best boy on Graveyard Ship 2 before doing Friday the 13th, the series. But he's still acting to this day. It brings up the question, which I'm not going to like wait till the end of the episode, and Johnny happens to bring it up as well, because she's like, you know... Johnny at some point comes and takes the wheelchair away from her. She's like, no, how can you possibly let those, how can I let those men get away with what they try to do to me and see them walking around all the time and I'm confined in this chair? And it's like, wow, right, she's absolutely correct. Also, um, I, I mean, <sighs> we live in a world of laws and people get away with crap like this all the time, but God, you got to side with her for doing the right thing with the chair, basically getting revenge. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, as I said, this is one of the episodes that solidified my love of Friday the 13th, the series, as a kid, because you could see it from her point of view. Like, she hated these guys. They took away her life. She was going to be a professional ice skater, and they they totally ruined that and ruined any sort of life of normality forever for her. And so any chance to get that back with this magic wheelchair, she's going to take it. And getting the revenge on these guys by, I mean, accidentally killing one and then on purpose killing one, definitely I could see me doing that if I was in the same situation. It reminds me of a movie, which a lot of horror fans have seen, and Jesus Christ, they they made sequels for this film, which is kind of shocking when you think about it, and there's another one coming out next year, the movie I Spit on Your Grave. It's about a woman, a writer in the 1970s, Camilla Keaton, mm-hmm. who has been a guest on Radio Horror, a very lovely woman, by the way, who goes into the woods to get inspiration to write. She's like kind of got writer's block, and she happens to be out camping one day, you know, in a bikini, and she comes back to her shore, and there's four guys waiting for her, and they rape her repeatedly. She escapes, mm-hmm. get back to her house. They rape her again. I mean, this goes on for like a good 25 to 35 minutes of this movie. It is crazy long what you have to sit through she recovers she 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 collects herself she plans her revenge she kills them off one by one by one by one yeah now there's another movie coming out that is going to be a direct sequel to the the original kind of like halloween which just came out in theaters is a direct sequel to the original from 1978 so this movie is about camilla's daughter her character's daughter and her go back to the woods and the family of the victims comes after them 
and maybe it's a generational. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out like how old are these people coming after the the the, you know, the original rape victim to get their revenge. Yeah. Because people question like, how old is Michael Myers that he's 40 years later coming back after Laurie Strode? Anyway, so that's what this movie, this episode reminds me of. I spit on your grave, and if you've never seen it, I don't know if I recommend checking it out. But if you want to check out a piece of uh, sexploitation, women's exploitation cinema, you know, it's it's beloved by horror fans for many different reasons. Some of them may be twisted, and some of them may be right. Maybe some of them uh, are dealing with the situation themselves, and that's why they went out and saw it. I watched it because it was like, oh, what's this movie? <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's also called The Day of the Woman, too. And I have a picture on my wall of Camilla Keaton riding up on the rowboat order with the knife in her hand and says, hey, hey, Chris, go camping sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Camilla Keaton, by the way, is a very lovely woman. You ever have a chance to meet her at a convention. So uh, definitely check her out if she's at a convention near you, uh, audience. She's incredibly sweet woman to talk to. Um, icon oh. of horror, absolutely. Icon of feminism and women empowerment, absolutely. <laughs> So in this episode, we have this character, which is this old man, that at one point in the episode towards the end, he actually disappears. What's that about? I don't know who that guy is. Uh, Yeah, he's the original owner of the wicker chair and it helped him. But other than that, he just kind of creeps in and out of the episode. His only purpose is to give her the chair. Uh, yeah, to uh, give her the chair and to convince Johnny not to take away the chair from her. Yeah, by the way. He gives it back. By the way, when she gets hit by the car, she gets run over by the car. She does not get hit by the car. That yeah, car. This is a run over. This is not her, like when Ryan hit someone. The, the car runs her the fuck over. And then when like he goes around and like, oh no, what happened? She looks pretty much intact, by the way. Except for the fact that. Her head's moving a little bit, and her eyes are kind of moving around. Like, she should have been unconscious and, like, bloodied and broken. And she looks just a little tussled. <laughs> well, you don't you don't really know that, because I've actually seen people get run over by cars for stunts or whatever. And, uh... Mr. Seneca, a... the dummy that they ran over in the scene, because it was a dummy they clearly run over. Yeah, it was dummy. I mean, yeah. that, that car flattened that thing. Yeah, but it was a dummy. It's not with bones and skulls are very hard to pop, you know, unless you get them at the right angle. And it's like later on in the episode when we see her and someone else fall down the stairs. It's like, okay, that's clearly not her anymore. That's like some stunt dude with a lot of padding because the body changes tremendously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that That's... that's... Yes, that staircase fall was uh, pretty intense. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of Friday the 13th Part 4. There's a scene where Jason grabs a woman and throws her. Like, he grabs her through the window and just throws her out the window on the, on top of a car. And they, uh, they've gone over the scene so many times on so many, like, you know, commentaries and documentaries and stuff like that, that the person who's flying out the window and onto the car is a man who shaved his legs for the scene because she's in a nightshirt and I don't think she's wearing any, she's wearing panties. So he shaved his legs and arms for the scene to stunt for her. And they blew out the car or whatever with like airbag compression and stuff like that to make Mm -hmm. it look like the way she's falling. But yeah, it's a, 
it's clearly a dude with some muscular-looking legs, completely shaved, <laughs> falling on this car that Jason kills. And it's kind of like the same way at the end of this episode. I like that. I like Friday uh, part, four, uh, part four. Yeah, whatever That's the one it. with uh, Corey, Corey Feldman. Corey, yeah, Corey Feldman and um, Crispin Glover. Crispin Great. Glover. Yeah, Hilarious. doing his crazy dance to that song that was supposed to be ACDC's oh God, Back in Black. Oh, my God, spastic. Yeah, ACDC's Back in Black, that was the song he was supposed to dance to. <laughs> oh my god, it was hilarious. Um, so uh, this poor girl, you know, years like because this happens what a couple years ago or a year before? It, it was a year prior. Okay, so this is during season. The attempted rape. All right, so this is like during season two. Let's just if you want to put it that timeline that way. Okay. Um, she uh, then of course uh, Mickey and Jack exit the episode to give Johnny the spotlight through the entire episode because once they exit stage left gone for the whole episode. Yeah, this is Johnny's show. This is Johnny's so, <laughs> This is Johnny's show. <laughs> this is Johnny's show now. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, up until the last scene where Johnny is chopping up the wheelchair, which is with a rubber mallet, by the way, um, and, and unsuccessfully, Jack and Mickey are gone. They, they Jack, uh, Mickey and Johnny go get the umbrella, come back, and then and then she leaves for something else. I forget. What did she leave for? Uh, let's see, the umbrella was put into the vault, and, uh, she left, what did she, oh, she had, oh, the Medusa Shard, the Medusa Shard is mentioned again. Again? Oh, God. Yeah, Jack finally gets, uh, the Medusa Shard, has a, uh, gets it in hands, but needs her for some reason, so she says, I gotta help him, I gotta go. You need to handle these things on your own, Johnny, if you want to become part of our crew. So deal with it and suck it up, Buttercup. And then she leaves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Basically, what she's telling him is like, you want to be part of this crew? you got to take one for the team and deal with this haunted wheelchair. <laughs> and, and, you know, he did a pretty darn good job because uh, that, that choice that he makes to return the wheelchair to her because, you know, the old man says that when Marcus comes back, He's not going to take it easy. He's going to kill her, and she can't run away. And, um, you know, that is completely, you know, true. Like, she's already given up her soul to this wheelchair because she's killed two people using it. So, yeah, give it back to her and have her heal up completely and, you know, further damn her soul, complete the pact, and, you know, she's made her choice. Yeah. And uh, John does that. Her attacker comes back, and again, very rapey, and you're like, what the hell? Yes. He he is a violent sex offender that should not be on the streets, and even in passing a girl on the street, he yells out to this anonymous girl, you know, hey, Cindy, you want to go out to a concert again? Implying that this is not the first time he's done this violent gang rape thing. Yeah, just really disgusting. And the one guy with the moral compass, you know, um, a little too late there with your moral compass, by the way. Yeah, you're just as guilty for watching it and perhaps holding her uh, than if you commit the actual rape yourself. Because you are there, you have all ability to stop this, and Scotty does not. That's freaking awful. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, by the way, I'm totally jealous of some coworkers of mine. They uh, they got pictures at Rhode Island Comic Con. I'm just seeing them right now of uh, with them in the cast of uh, it. Aww. I was like, damn it! Why wasn't I at the booth that day? <laughs> Aww. 
Um, yeah, Rhode Island Comic Con just happened this weekend, people. So if I met you there, hey, how are you doing? Because I passed out a bunch of uh, radio horror cards and talked about the Dead TV podcast. Um, and we talked about like Friday the 13th. The why Friday the 13th has no action figures. There's no, you know, it's like, come on. Never once, like, any type of merchandise for this show beyond a soundtrack and the DVDs. No, that's a shame. Yeah. Speaking of the soundtrack, we got something interesting coming up. We can't talk about it just yet, but it, it, it's pretty <laughs> awesome. So, once it happens, we'll talk about it, but... Uh, it's terrible yeah. keeping a secret. I'm... <laughs> um... It, it, it's something pretty cool, so that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, it's, it's cool. It's, it's cool. cool. It's cool. So, um, by the way, the chair she's in, I don't know anything about being a, what 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 would you classify her as? Quadriplegic. Quadriplegic. I don't know anything about being quadriplegic, or I don't have any friends that are quadriplegic, or as far as I'm aware, any friends of mine or relatives dealing with someone being a quadriplegic, sorry, not dealing, but having to uh, take care of somebody. With mm-hmm. being quadriplegic. Um, paraplegic, yeah, different story. So the chair she's in for 1989 looks pretty, like, up-to-date for modern medical technology at the time. And then she gets into that wicker chair. I would have said, old man, you are crazy. <laughs> this chair, at well, least I can, like, do stuff with it because I've got limited mobility with my chin and nose and stuff like that. Oh, man, well, he did say it was a special chair. It's magic, you little girl. Magic. Whatever. I, I still would. If I was in her situation, I, I, if, I, I mean, this is not to be make light of the situation, but people in this situation have thought about killing themselves. Oh, I uh, completely. Like, uh, I mean, euthanasia is an argument because of people with terminal illnesses and and you know, conditions in life that they don't want to live with anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Completely for it. Not everybody has the strength that Christopher Reeve had to continue going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, Christopher Reeve had the strength to continue, and that inspired a lot of people because, I mean, he was Superman, and he Mm -hmm. was at the prime of his physique at his age when he had his accident. I mean, that guy was jacked and just muscular even after Superman. His career might have gone, you know, kind of up and down and whatever. By the way, did you know he turned down being a pretty woman? He was going to be Richard Gere's character. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to watch that. I was yeah, like, I would... what? And then I found that to be true. Yeah, he was up for pretty woman. Wow. I would have watched that in a heartbeat. <laughs> I, I find him more attractive than you know, Oh, yeah, Gere. I'm secure enough in my masculinity to say the same thing. I mean... <laughs> Post Superman, I thought he was like a really good-looking guy. God, have you ever seen Village of the Damned? Yeah. Oh, that's so great! It's got him and Mark Hamill in it. You're never gonna yeah. get that movie ever again. Superman and Luke Skywalker in the same movie. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but I bring up Christopher Reeve because of the fact that Christopher Reeve, his foundation, which continues to this day. I mean, God, look at his son. His son is the spitting image of him. And he continues his father's foundation about, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the the line, go forward, which is printed on the dog tags that you could pick up with the Superman shield on it. That was created by Chris's late wife, who unfortunately passed away in like 2006 of breast cancer. Oh, wow. So two years yeah. after her husband died, uh, Dana Reeve passed away. Oh. And the last thing she got to say, like that was like publicly known, was she told Brandon Routh, go forward. And Brendan Ralph, <laughs> in 2006, 
would become Superman in Superman Returns. Love or hate the movie, I've never been Superman. Have you ever been Supergirl, <laughs> Mr. Seneca? No. Okay. No. And I now, mean, I have a pair of underwear with the Supergirl symbol, but, you know. I've well, you will have to share that with us sometime. <laughs> <laughs> but Brandon Routh now plays uh, the Atom on DC Legends of Tomorrow alongside what character that we have to have talked about on the Dead TV podcast once upon a time? Constantine? John Constantine is a regular character on DC's Legends of Tomorrow and has been in three episodes last season and has been in the first two episodes of this season. One episode, he goes to Woodstock to fight a unicorn that's eating people's hearts. And the second episode, he has to fight a fairy godmother that's using the Salem Witch Trials to enhance her powers. <laughs> yeah, that's the job for Constantine. Yeah, she's actually like the fairy godmother that you've you know heard about in many fairy tales. And she sings and she dances and she's like... She's complaining that, like, you know, this girl is wishing for stuff that is what she was made for, to, for vengeance and revenge. And these people in the Salem Witch Trials are evil and just need to be wiped out. And, you know, she's telling Constantine that what idiot wishes for glass slippers and pumpkins and mice and true love? Who cares? This woman wants revenge because these people are persecuting her mother for being supposedly a witch. Mm-hmm. Great two episodes. If you watch, if you listen to our thirteen episode, fourteen episode coverage of Constantine, check out DC's Legends of Tomorrow because he is great on the show, interacting with other DC comic characters. He he is Constantine, like he melts into that character. Yeah, and there's that animated movie too, City of Demons, which kind of is like I think is like on its own because unless there's that's like that's not a movie. That's an extended episode broken up into like. Five-minute bits. It's yeah, but, not even, but Chad different. shows up like they have not seen each other since Whitehall, Whitechapel. But whatever the thing was with the, the exorcism that went wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the continuity right there that people said, oh, this is not following the show. Mm-hmm. Because Chad's also with his ex-wife. And on the show, he was divorced. And that's true. Yeah, and that's by the, at the end, and spoiler alert, at the end of the episode, Chad's memory is wiped. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a good, it's a good movie. It just don't, it don't connect it to anything really. It's, uh, it's not something that we're going to be covering on the show. No, but I would highly recommend watching DC Legends tomorrow if you did like the Constantine show because it, it's, it, it's, it's what you're going to be getting if you like the like Matt Ryan's portrayal of Constantine. Love or hate the episodes, I know they're hit or miss, but so, um, so in this episode, uh. The very end, the the big battle between Marcus and Rachel, our, our quadriplegic, that is no longer quadriplegic because of the wheelchair. Ghosting around. Uh, she doesn't. She doesn't finally get that last boost to her legs because even though in her attempt to kill Marcus, he was just knocked out. He wasn't actually dead. She doesn't get her mobility of her legs back. And uh, both of them go tumbling down the stairs and die. So we have a total of five people dead in this episode. The mother's scream is just really like, oh, my God. I mean, she's... Yeah, she, she, that's a good scream. That was a good scream for yeah. that actress, I think. Uh, I think screams sometimes can be a little hard to do, just like um, fake tears versus real tears. You know what I mean? That's true. That's cut true. away, cut away, squirt some stuff in the actor's eyes, come back, they're crying. Actually see them cry on camera, good acting. Obviously, you yeah. gotta go to someplace dark in your head. You gotta go someplace. You gotta trigger you a menu. You get there emotionally. Yeah, I've I've told I've I've talked to actors on the show that tell me that they've thought about like a time when their child was really sick or hurt. 
you know, mm-hmm. or maybe it's something that's happy at least to get them in a good mood for the scene. Like I think about um, at the Boston Comic Con this past year, and it's going to happen right uh-huh. now. I'm going to start crying. Tom King. Tom King is the writer of Batman. One of the biggest superheroes cool. on the planet. Tom King bought my comic book, and I didn't ask him. I didn't pitch it to him. I wasn't trying to sell it to him. We were just having a conversation about comic books, and I brought up the fact that I'm doing one, and he and I showed him the prequel book that I did, and he asked me to buy it. Oh, congratulations, man! He uh, he took money out of his wallet and was like, "How much is your comic?" And I was like, "What are you talking about? You can have this." And he's like, "No, dude, you buy my comic. I want to buy yours." And I was nearly about to start bawling my eyes out in front of him. And I walked away, and I did. Afterwards, <laughs> I kept it, I kept it together. I was like, "No, he's writer a bad man." Um, and my and uh, and uh, a friend of mine was taking pictures. Uh, so you've got a picture of that moment. Yeah, she was taking a lot of pictures, and oh, uh, yeah, yes. she took a ton of pictures. And uh, when we got home that night, she was showing me the pictures, and I was like, "Oh my god, you took all these pictures." She's like, "Yeah, like you could flip book this, you know, everything that's happening." So I, I was like. He's gonna buy your. He's gonna buy his comic. He's gonna buy his, and he did. So, and he was just like, I will, I will, I will check this out, dude, and uh, love or hate it or whatever. You know, it's it's not up to me to decide. So I was like, oh, thank you so much. So, Tom King, writer of Batman. He's gonna, he's still the writer of Batman right now. He's been, he's gonna be on Batman for a hundred issues. He has a hundred issue contract. So that's a yeah. that's a pretty good run on a comic book character too, especially like Batman. Yeah, so. yeah, and and I could just sense in your voice that you know the emotion comes up when you bring up this memory. Yeah. So, you know, hearing that woman do that blood curdling screen or seeing anyone cry on this show sometimes, you know what I mean? Like we never asked John last week. It's something we missed. Uh, no, we, we asked him, we asked him what happened in that um, scene where he's crying over Jack. Oh, right, right, right. Where did he go in his mind? He did explain that. Sorry, I forgot. So. Uh, that it was his goodbye for the show and, you know, it, all that emotion of being on the show and that this was his, his final, uh, you know, episodes, uh, you know, with the show and it was kind of all coming to a close and, and, and that emotion bubbled up within him and, and came out. Right, right, definitely, definitely. Um, I never, thankfully, uh, owned a wheelchair, but I, of course, have been in a wheelchair. I mean, I've had surgery before, and they don't let you leave the hospital. And you've been pregnant uh, yes. once with your own, and you surrogated and, two. And twi- and, yeah. Yes, and, and two others. And two others. Um, uh, but yeah, do you own a wheelchair for anything kinky? No, okay. no, um, no real purpose for it in my life. Okay, I wasn't sure if you had, like, a doctor thing that you did at... <laughs> I, mean, I had a gynecological table for a while, um, and I are and I do have a massage chair, but you know, a wheelchair is just not um, useful. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, and I don't own a wicker wheelchair either, so that basically covers that whole thing. So that's no, our that's, that's a that's a Victorian style uh, wicker wheelchair, right? That's pretty much it for these two episodes of the Dead TV podcast. Uh, we continue trekking through season three. You can check us out on the Dead TV podcast on Facebook. And if you would like to listen to our episode with uh, John LeMay, it is up on iTunes, and it might be played on the Radio of Horror show. I think next week. I think I'm going to 
go through it, do some editing for ra- for airplay, because I don't think we swore at all, really, but just to be absolutely certain. Just um, to be sure. I, I might have went. <laughs> um, it's, a good, it's a good interview to talk about, to, to broadcast on the air, so if you're in the local area, if you listen to WCW online or Dr. Chris's Radio Horror, you can uh, listen to the John LeMay interview uh, being broadcast, because uh, we do talk a lot and, about... And, and you can hear his answer from his own mouth on how he gets to that emotional point. Yes. Um, and then look for Mr. Zeneca and I's uh, film dungeon commentary on Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday, which I cannot wait for. Um, Mr. Zeneca, I think, needs to find a copy of it. She needs to make sure she finds the correct copy because there's two versions out there, an R-rated version and an unrated version. The unrated version's got all the boobs and blood that you want to see in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I just need to find it because none of my friends own a copy. Gotcha. Rawr. Thank you, everybody. Oh, and you can send us an email at thatradiohar at gmail.com as well. And you can also join us on Patreon if you wish, too, as well. Dr. Chris's Radio of Horror on Patreon. Thank you to Wicked Chronic and Natick, Massachusetts for renewing their contract with the Radio of Horror Network as well. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night. Good night.